Do you hold the belief that the human body carries our stories, emotions, and traumas, and that it has the ability to heal itself? Are you interested in deepening your understanding of your whole self? Are you excited by the idea of engaging in a living dialogue with a sense of wonder and curiosity? Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, Science and Stories, a series of casual conversations about what it is to live in a body. Expect tons of stories and the occasional science lesson. Even science can be told as a story. I'm Sherry Sadoff-Hank. And I am Teresa Tobin Macy. We are your hosts for Anecdotal Anatomy. Today, we wanna to talk a little bit about pranamaya, which is the vitality and the energy. So why don't I just like throw it to you and tell your story throughout, through this pranamaya kosha. Like let's define it, you're, you're the girl, you're the woman, I'm sorry, old, old vernaculars. Yeah, so I'm still talking about my skin. And so this pranamaya kosha, this is life force, right? This is our ability to look at our own personal vitality and have an expressiveness of that vitality. And honestly, when I started thinking about pranamaya kosha, I always limited it to the breath. But I've expanded that to, this is the flow of energy. And in all of my different lineages and the different things that I've studied, you know, the flow of energy happens throughout the systems of the body. So our flow of energy is not just our breath. It's our blood and oxygenating our cells and the lymphatic fluid that goes through our body. But I'm also a body worker who works with fascia. And one of the things I do is find adherencies, find fibrotic tissue, the places that are blocked, that the energy cannot move through for whatever reason, we have this energetic block in our body. And so for me, I'm a really healthy person, thank God. You know, I'm 62 years old and I have great health, but I can also feel these blocks and they come out in my skin. And I'm not really sure why. We're still on that exploration, right? Why does this part of my skin, this place that everything else is fine, but this one place has this block. It's built up this wall to Oops, there's Siva saying hi to everybody again. Hi Siva, woof woof. <laughs> so there's these blocks that are built. We're the lymphatic, the flow of energy, right? Our lymphatic system is something that, um, it, it sends the first responders to healing, but why are they blocked there? And so that's my pranamaya kosha. What is this block of energy that lets this part of my skin be different than that part of my skin? And so from my fascia training, you know, I know that fascia, superficial fascia, hides and holds our secrets. It releases them when we're ready to see them. So when I think about pranamaya kosha, the energy that flows through my body, why do we take certain parts of our experiences and allow them to block our energy in different places? Why do certain experiences manifest in different ways? Right. So you mentioned to me not that long ago, you said 
you are a goddess having a human experience. And we talk, I always talk more in time as I'm human. And occasionally I have this like really great goddess experience. But when you flip it all around, it really becomes apparent that our experience is here to teach us something, right? We all have something to learn. So blocking energy in my body and the pranamaya kosha, you know, sometimes trauma is too big to deal with in your brain, right? It's too big to process some emotions. And so stuffing them in the body is really tangible. It's like, I'll put that there. I'll put that there. And let's see what happens over years of just kind of marinating in that spot. I want to say also, it's interesting that you talk about the lymphatic system as part of that, the first responders to healing and why does this get stuck? And the fact that the lymph areas don't have a pump like the heart or an ability to automatically flow in the body, like the heart and the lungs, like they're doing their thing from the autonomic place, like they're just going. But the lymphatic system, we need to add some consciousness to that, some deliberate action. So whether as a massage therapist, you're massaging those areas where the lymphs are flowing, or you're inverting your body in order for gravity to encourage that flow. But there has to be some kind of consciousness effort made to get that that system to go. So what I love about that is that, you know, we have like the yin and the yang, we have the things that the autonomic nervous system and the things that we have to, you know, be more deliberative with. And this is one of those things that if we want to truly heal, we have to be conscious about the fact that we need the healing first, that there's something to heal, but that we also are partners in that healing. The body can like, I just, I burned myself the other day on a fire pit and it was really bad and it's still raw. Like I take off this bandaid and you can almost see the bone, like it is still raw, but the body will heal this. I know that I don't have to do anything but wrap it and keep it dry and clean and my body will generate healing. But when it comes to that deeper stuff where the vitality and the flow and this, we need to be partners in that. Let me just say, first of all, I really love that you gave the anatomy lesson <laughs> and I get to be the story person. So thank you for filling in uh, the anatomy of the lymphatic system. I know a little bit. I know a little bit. Um, the traumas or the excitement that we've had in our life is written into this fabric of our form. And we get to, again, define that myth. So I know that sometimes if anybody's ever taken my class, and if you're listening, you've probably been on a yoga mat with me or on my massage table. I'm a slow mover. I'm the yin person. I want everything to be slow and mindful. But I have also noticed that when I approach certain edges in my body, I know that they're tender and I'm like, oh, tender spot, time to go the other way. But other places you approach and when you get to them, they take your breath away, right? You come to this shape and all of a sudden you're like, <gasps> and you know that there's a block there, that there's something that is interrupting this natural flow. And I've come in my practice to be able to stop in those places. And no matter what I'm doing, a gentle, a vinyasa, whatever it is, I'm in yin. And I, I just, I make that yin transition just like that. 
and stop and sit with it. What's going on at this space? And I actually have a conversation with myself. I might say, I see you. Another Sherry word reminding me that one of the things that I really am asking for is see me, right? So I'm telling my body, I see you. You stopped me in this place. So we have choices here. We can let go of this thing that doesn't serve us. This is an old, deep memory or um, trauma that's locked there. You stopped me enough to like interrupt the flow of vitality, to interrupt the flow of my breath. But you don't necessarily have to tell me the story. I don't have to hear the story. If, if my memories and thoughts and emotions want to relive that story, I'm here to listen. But we could also just take a nice deep breath, recognize that that is in the past. This place that is stopping me, this place of blocking my energy is no longer needed. So since you took my breath away, how about if I just pause here? for a nice couple of soft, relaxed breaths and give you the exit of either speaking to, to or through my emotions or saying, you know what, we don't have to relive that thing anymore, but it is a good day to just let it go. Did you want to add any more to the story of Pranamaya with your skin or anything else at this point? The only thing that I really want to say more about that is my skin is definitely asking for my attention. It's asking me to look at it. It's asking me to see it and to love it. You know, I believe that this boundary, this border of my skin is telling a story of being thin-skinned as a child, being way too sensitive, right? All of these different things. But I really, really am spending a lot of time and everybody can do their own work of deciding how I want to look at these blockages of energy mm -hmm. and I get to tell that story. So you and I have talked about it. I said, it's almost like every two weeks I go in and somebody with a scalpel cuts out another bit of my trauma. And you, you gave me another way to think about that. What did, do you remember what you said? They're healing you. They're taking out your trauma. But what did I say? I don't remember the exact verbiage. <laughs> said that maybe they're just opening the space for this to be processed so that it's not stuck in any particular area in your body, that they're giving it an opening to process and to let go from. I said it. You said that. <laughs> yes, you did. You know, you always make me think of things a little bit differently. So to close about this, Pranamaya Kosha is the it's the bridge between the mind and the body. And I keep reminding myself that I can talk about myths and tell a story about traumas that I've had as a child, traumas that were a part of things that were done to my physical body. And I can write a narrative. I can write a myth about that. I can write a myth, myth about whether I'm worthy or not, or I can write a myth about how resilient and strong I am based on all of the different phases of my life and the different things that have happened. And let those blocks leave on a nice, slow, releasing exhale. They no longer serve. <sighs> eh.
And it took you a little longer than a few minutes to come to that, right? It took you some time to discover that thing that does not serve you. And so now you get to work with it. You get to see it, see it again. We have to use our senses to bring the outside world in and to let the inner world out a bit. And what I love about, you know, as we begin to define the koshas, these layers of our being, that, you know, there are some yoga traditions that will do the same sequence of poses every time. And you get to see how that evolves, how your practice grows, <clears throat> how you interact with your own, you know, self on your layers and the way that you're telling your story with the skin, you're using that same model to move through each one of the layers. I, on the other hand, I'm gonna do different stories for each layer so that we have both experiences. One where you can see how one particular story embodies everything, encompasses all of these layers and how we can also you know, interact with these layers <clears throat> a la carte, let's say, you know, without the whole, the whole mishigas. We'll use a little Yiddish in there. So what I wanted to talk about in terms of pranamaya kosha are the things that I feel affect my anamaya, my physical body. And I know, like you said, it's the bridge between the mind and the body, that the things that I love or that affect my anamaya kosha in a way that really deepens my experience, my connection with pranamaya. New York City. I moved to New York in 1986. I went to NYU, Tisch School of the Arts for theater. Oh, I mean, I don't know that I loved New York as a child. You know, as growing up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, you know, we would go into the to the city. Now I call Philly town and I call New York the city now. But when I was little, I would fall asleep in the car and I would wake up and there were tall buildings. I didn't know if I was in Philly or if I was in New York City. Um, but it didn't matter. There was a, a feeling that my body had. So it's hard to separate the physical body sometimes from that feeling of life force of that vitality. So I start there with this feeling and then, but it's deeper than just the physical body. It's that thing that animates, that moves, that excites, that, you know, it's, it's a lot of emotional attachment too. There's this feeling that goes with it. So I grew to really fall in, I fell in love with New York City. I, it was a love story. My mother was always in love with New York City. She moved to suburban Philadelphia so she could have that, <laughs> you know, my dad had his practice here, but she would go into New York once a week, go to the museums, go to, you know, go out for lunch with a friend or whatever. But I get that now. There's this, now that I've moved out of New York, I was there 17 years the last year, the 17th year, I shared between New York and, and suburban Philly. We're in Bucks County. And I was really reluctant. It took me 10 years, 10 full years to release my attachment to that vital life force that I felt I could only get in New York. That here I am in this beautiful, spacious space with nature all around. It took me 10 years to release the goods and services I could have gotten in New York to what I was getting here and everything was Whoa. And then all of a sudden I had this moment where I was beginning to appreciate the talents and the beauty and the services and goods that I could get right here because it wasn't a competition. It was just that I, my, my vitality was still, the umbilical cord to New York City was still attached. 
And then 10 years later, I was able to sever that. But what happened, which was so exciting, was that I didn't have to choose. It was no longer a binary experience. And binary is a word that I'm going to use quite a bit, I think, because I don't believe in binary. I think we live in the gray. My heart races when I get to New York. I go now. I share it with my kids. I get to go. I know where I'm going. It's like coming home. There's that feeling of coming home. So I don't know if I think emotions are also kind of they're one of that gray areas in the koshas that can live here, but also live in the next layer that we'll get to. In order for me to connect with my life force, it starts with a feeling. It starts with an emotion. So I go into the city and my heart is racing, but not in contraction. It's racing because I am fully alive. I am walking the streets. I, I have familiarity, but I also have that full feeling that anything can happen. I'm in New York. Anything can happen. And I need to be present in order to, to, to recognize that. But then I come home. And I have this sense of, <sighs> it's just, it's a deep breath of spaciousness that I don't get in New York and I don't have to choose. I get to have both. So where my space in New York and my apartments in New York City were longitudinal, they were, I had the 12 foot ceilings that gave me space and breath. My ceilings are probably eight foot ceilings now and feel a little bit claustrophobic at times but I open my door and I have space. I have yard, I have trees and, and leaves and flower, all sorts of things that remind me that I am in nature, that I am nature, that I am not separate. And so I get to take that with me now when I go to New York. But that's my Pranamaya Kosha story. It's what happens in my body when I experience the things that make me feel alive. You're, you did such a amazing poetic job of talking about two different expressions of pranamaya, right? The excitement, the, the, the faster breath, the anticipation of going into the city and being in this place that just has anything and everything that can happen to walk the streets and see the buildings and the museums and the people and the energy. And so one expression of our energetic flow and how that prana shows up in our body. But you beautifully made this transition to coming back home and, oh, the spaciousness and this nice deep breath and slow exhale and this transition through pranamaya mm -hmm. from excitability to, ah. And the knowing too, that even here with this space in nature, anything can happen. You know that in New York, it feels for me that that vitality is, is outside and inside. Like I can feel the external energy as it, as it is absorbed into my being. So, you know, having children, it's, you know, it's been said, I didn't make this up, but that it feels like your heart is on the outside of your body. You know, and it's true. I feel like my children, they are my heart and soul and they live outside of me, but they also came from inside of me. That that is vitality, that it is it is not just inside that sort of whirling, flowing energy, but it's outside too. It's a relationship between the inner and outer worlds, which beautifully goes back to your metaphor of the bridge. And if you've ever been on a mountaintop watching a sunrise, right? The darkness of night as it turns into the light of day, 
there's a stillness, there's a quiet, there's, it's, it's a deep, dark, it's very yin, you know, it's cool and it's low and it's, you know, um, it's almost palpable. And as the rainbow at the horizon begins to, you know, brighten and magnify and bring the light of day to the light of day, there's that feeling of movement. There's that feel, but if, yeah, I'm thinking of a very specific experience being on the top of a mountain and having climbed it and not knowing how cold it was going to be and huddling in with friends as the wind, which can also be the external breath, that kind of prana of the outside as it's landing on us and we're holding each other. And there's a sense of just, I, I don't even know beyond stillness what the word is because it is, it is such a deep stillness. And then the darkness begins to lighten and it's not just light, it's color. You know, before it becomes the bright yellow golden sun of the day, it is the deep dark colors of the rainbow. And then they begin to, you know, get brighter and brighter and brighter. And then before you know it, it's day. But there's that feeling of the body in relationship to that, that is also awakening. And so I think this exploration that we're doing with the koshas is really also about awakening to our fullest experience, because, you know, that that innermost kosha, which we'll get to at the you know fifth or sixth episode, whenever that is, is that that bliss place of true knowledge of knowing yourself as a whole. And I think that this moving from the body, which feels superficial, but as we begin to learn is intertwined with all of it, that all of a sudden we bring in this vitality, this feeling of, you know, awakening of becoming alive, this aliveness. I really am excited that you brought the outside prana into our conversation, right? So this is my woo-woo part. I, I, most people know me as the science person, you know, I, you ask me a question, I'm going to go right into teaching science mode. But I do have a woo-woo side. It's taken a long time to develop. <laughs> <laughs> the prana, I, I'm outside a lot, which means I meditate outside a lot. I teach from outside a lot. And I, over the years, and especially the more recent years, if I'm meditating, like I like to meditate on the dock when I am at my lake spot, I have a dock and I sit out there and eyes open or eyes closed, Somehow that outside prana, the breath of the breeze touching my face in a meditation always seemed to show up at a time that, some, that my mind was active, right? And I took it to be this reminder that I was not alone, that I was just part of nature. I was, there was an inside prana and there was an outside prana. And as the breeze touched my face, it was you're fully supported. We, you are surrounded by energies of the plant life, the trees, the nature that's around you, but maybe also, you know, some of the goddesses or your guides, your ancestors, but the idea that the air never stops. We may not feel that prana of breeze on our face every day while we're outside. Sometimes it's still and heavy and filled with fluid, very humid, and maybe feels a little bit tighter. And other days it's light and airy and breezy. So there's this blending 
of the outside prana and the inside prana, the environment that we walk through every day that fills me with hope and, and connection to things that are bigger than I am. Well, you talked also- a lot about the elements too. And this idea that all of the elements that we contain in these physical bodies also exist outside in every single thing that we see and that everything that we see, those elements exist within us. So this idea that we are not separate from our environment, that we are a part of the environment, but that we there's a sense of you know coming together that um, we tend to want to create binary choices. We're either inside or outside. You know, we're either up or down. We're but that we're not. We're all part of this big whole, this interdependence of being. And you know, I, I hate this is I am woo woo. I mean, I definitely I'm probably 60-40 in service of the the big W. But this idea that if we can connect to this interdependence, if we can connect with the idea that there are there's no such thing as other people or other people's problems, other people's children, other people's traumas, that we are all in this together and that we are a part of each other and a part of the environment that keeps us alive. I mean, I remember you were one of the first people who brought up this image of, you know, trees giving out the oxygen that we breathe in and then we exhale the carbon dioxide that then they take in that created this image for me of continuous flow of being that we are in relationship constantly. Interesting because I talked about the breath, the breeze touching me like this outside force. That breeze that's touching me is everybody else's collective breath. There is no separation. And because I have this skin barrier, right? I'm talking about skin. There's this illusion that when that breeze comes by, it doesn't actually infiltrate my body. Like it's, it's separate from me. It's the outside stuff, but really it isn't. It's just this collection as I feel that breeze of everybody else's collective breath, every bit of prana in our environment, the earth's prana, other individuals' prana. I'm sitting there feeling it, experiencing it, but I'm also exhaling and inhaling, that I'm taking that into my body, allowing it to nourish me, and then exhaling it out and sharing with those trees or the next person down the road who feels that breeze cross their face right? We've added our energetic prana to this outside environment with each and every exhale we have. The ancestors too. Did What did I send you about Napoleon? Like we're still breathing in, like it was it nitrogen, but nitri- it, was, it was one element of the atmospheric that we that that was stable enough to withstand time that we are breathing in these our ancestors molecules molecules thank you yes you (laughs) said it was caesar and i forget what the molecule was but there was this paper that you had read that it is so resilient Mm -hmm. and lives on the waves of the energetic air that we can take an inhale and I think the article said every inhale has a little tiny molecule that goes back as old as Caesar. <sighs> Caesar, Napoleon. <laughs> you know, there was no- I never said I was an historian. <laughs> I think uh, maybe we should um, do a practice. 
Yes, I think we should do a practice for sure. Cool. A product practice. Yeah. You want to go first? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Then I will go first. So um, let me just, I want to talk about a mudra because I do love talking about mudras for vital energy. And so this mudra is called the gesture of vital energy. So for anybody who's out there listening, it's so simple to do. Just let your arms rest at your side body. The hands are just cupped, but at a distance apart. So they're the width of your body. Keep your fingers all straight. And as if you're going to put your hands around a ball, uh -huh. right? Like you're going to be holding a globe between your hands. So all the fingers are outstretched with just the tiniest little bend in them as if you were wrapping your hands around a ball. And then just let the arms rest at any place that's comfortable that will allow the shoulders to come back and down. And as you do, notice the sensations in the palms of your hands. Maybe let the eyes rest, the downward gaze, or closed if you feel more comfortable that way. allowing the mind to soften and settle. I invite you to escort your attention to the space between your hands. As my voice fades off for a few breaths to let you rest in your own experience. Anamaya Kocha allows us to cultivate a relationship with our breath that goes beyond the breath and noticing all the energetic flow throughout our systems, our energy, and our well being. When you feel ready, you can simply allow the mudra to rest in your lap. And Siva thinks that this is a good time for her to have a conversation with me. Well, this is her barking is actually the perfect segue because, and what a beautiful, first of all, I could totally feel my palms vibrating. There was, I felt like I was holding some energetic force in my palms. I also felt very relaxed and very much um, guided to a yin space, which gave me what I'm going to offer, which is a little bit more young. <laughs> We're going to do a pranayama called Kabbalah Bhati. Considering that a lot of the story that I told talked about feeling alive, feeling, you know, really sort of energized. And Kabbalah Bhati is also called breath of fire. So for those of you who don't know what Kabbalah Bhati is, it's almost like blowing out birthday candles with your nose. The first thing you want to do is sit up nice and tall, making sure your spine is long, so whether you're sitting on a chair or you're sitting on the ground or you're standing, just have the sense that your tailbone is heavy, that it's almost plugging into an outlet in the ground as the crown of your head lifts up, lengthening your whole spine from your tailbone to your crown. Engage slightly in your, in your belly, just enough to stay upright. 
And if you're seated, palms can be face down on your lap for now. Just get a sense of your breath as it is. Once you feel your breath as it is, you can take a hand on your belly if you like both hands on your belly, just to feel yourself filling your hands with your breath. This is not the practice yet. This is just all preliminary, just getting in touch. Pranamaya kosha, feeling the sense of energy in your body. And then on your next inhale, inhale completely all the way to the top. Exhale all the way to the bottom through your nose. And then you'll breathe in about halfway. You know, you'll have to guesstimate that, but what is halfway? Breathe in halfway. And then it's short, short, very quick breaths. Now you might be going slower. You might be going faster. You might not even have started yet. That might just be the instruction. So you take a deep breath in, deep breath out, inhale halfway, and then short, quick breaths bringing your navel towards your back as you extend. Your inhale will happen naturally. You're focusing on your exhale. Take a deep breath in. Exhale completely. And then bring the hands back to your legs and feel any resulting energy. You might feel tingling in your fingers. You might feel a little lightheaded in your skull, but just notice the physical result of that kind of breath. And if for some reason it went fast, we're going to do one more round now that you have a sense of what we've done and where we're going. So maybe now take a hand on your belly, take a deep breath in, and we'll do 11 rounds. Exhale all the way out. Inhale halfway and quick short 11 breaths. Inhale completely, exhale. And hopefully you feel a little bit more alive than you did before you started, whatever that means. You can feel alive in yin in the most relaxed state. Maybe that's where you feel you're most alive when you're completely relaxed. Maybe you need that extra energy to feel alive. So all of these practices and all of these casual conversations that Teresa and I have, none of it is prescriptive. None of it is saying, if you do this, then you will experience that. It is all completely an exploration of you. You get to decide when you feel most vibrant. You get to decide when you feel most at home or at ease. And you get to decide which practices you want to add into your daily life and which ones you like, you know what, not now. I'll come back to that. Or maybe not. The differences in these two breath experiential practices is a reminder that breath has a lot of different flow, that energy flows in different directions. The pranavayus, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point, the directions of energy that flow through the body. Sometimes they're grounding, right? And we bring the breath deep into the body. And sometimes they're more up and they're uplifting and create energy, right? We can get grounded, we can get uplifted. Maybe there's a circular pattern that's just kind of weaving through the body. So these flows of energy 
have so many different opportunities to explore different directions um, and to use them based on what it is that we want to adopt into our moment or our day. Do we want to, you know, sit down and relax or are we getting out to run a marathon? Ah. Well, so ends another one of our, our great experiments. <laughs> we hope you'll join us at our next episode when we talk about Manamaya Kosha. Manamaya Kosha, the mind, the mental piece. And the reason I remember that is because M and M, Manamaya, mind, mental. Next week, our conversation will move into the mental sheath where our thoughts and emotions live. This layer is called Manamaya Kosha. As we move from gross to subtle, notice how our stories may reflect those shifts. Please help us grow. Like, follow, rate, and subscribe. You can find Anecdotal Anatomy on your podcast platform of choice, including Spotify and Apple Music. Our mission is to create community and connect through our individual and collective stories. Share your stories, questions, and musings on our Facebook and Instagram under Anecdotal Anatomy. Original music composed and performed by Keith Kenny. Episodes produced and edited by Judith George. We're shouting out again to our photographer friend, Cindy Fatsis, whose eye and talent are also part of our story. We are your hosts for Anecdotal Anatomy. She is Teresa Tobin Macy. She is Sherry Sadoff-Hank. See you next time. See you next time.